Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Healing the Nations podcast, our podcast on end time events and religious liberty. And we have a very special guest from the East Coast, from near New York City, Brother Michael Verlis. Brother Verlis, thank you so much for joining us. Praise God. Hey, I'm glad to be on. I'm very grateful to uh, be able to talk to you and the listeners concerning Christ and these last days, religious liberty. I think this is very uh, good timing for us to be focusing on these things and, and the work it is that you're doing. So I'm glad to be able to rub shoulders and, and to share thoughts uh, with you on these things. Praise the Lord. We did a little trade-off last week. I was on his podcast. And so this <laughs> week he's on mine. And so it, it's a great blessing to help one another in our podcast series. So thank you for joining us. Absolutely. The privilege is all mine. I have to be selfish with the privilege this time around. <laughs> Amen. Now, can you tell us a little about yourself and your ministry and what you do? Uh, sure. So my name is Michael, Michael Verlis. I've been doing this ministerial work as, as a lay member, really, since uh, 2015, I want to say, um, is when I started sharing videos on YouTube. The years before that, uh, I spent a lot of time reading and studying the Word of God. I didn't look for this um, at all. I didn't know about the present truth. I've heard uh, one or two present truth speakers at church before speaking about um, diet or dress reform. I never really had any problem with them, but uh, I just never really <laughs> moved forward with uh, stopping eating cheese or things like that. But, um, but then as time went along, uh, it must have been around 2010, 2011, where I really saw Christ as my friend and as my personal savior. For me, um, I was painted in the heart of Christ. I saw myself there, at least. I was convinced. Um, as I was reading and studying specifically on the message of righteousness by faith as presented by A.T. Jones. And that completely transformed my life and my outlook and my understanding of the gospel. I grew up in Seventh-day Adventist my whole entire life, so I'm not foreign to Seventh-day Adventism, but I was foreign to what is commonly known as present truth or present truthers. Some people call them present truthers. I was new to that, but uh, God has so blessed me. Like I said, I wasn't looking for this. He introduced me first with you know, those messages of righteousness by faith through Jones and Wagner. And I was reading the spirit of prophecy as well in the Bible and everything I saw was lining up. And I said, everybody needs to hear about this. Everybody needs to know about this. Everybody needs to know because this is the sweetest message in the universe that changes the life and transforms the individual and causes them to want to live just like Christ and then helps them realize that they're not able to do it unless it is him that lives out his life in them. So, um, so then from there, um, in learning those things over those years, like I said, I didn't look for it. The Lord that really brought it to me through his means. And then uh, in 2015, the urge really came to me to get this out. So really to the end of 2014, that happened when we really started around October 2014. And then in 2015, that's when we started publishing videos on Last Ray Ministries. So we do a lot of primarily uh, media sharing via YouTube on Last Ray Ministries. And we have a podcast as well, Last Ray Ministries which can be found on the popular podcasts like uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, etc. But we don't only do media, but we also meet people, right? So we do go out in the community. Uh, we help other ministries in doing health fairs, recording, and media as well. Uh, we preach. We'll do weekend seminars or week-long retreats or campaigns throughout this country, the U.S., and throughout the world as well. We've been privileged to go out to different countries to share this gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, it's just been really, really, really great blessing. Now, you said you're a layman, so 
you have a full-time uh, secular job. Is that correct? Right, right. I do have a, have a full-time job, full-time secular job. So that means I, I work from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. <laughs> and most people say 9 to 5, but for me, it's 9 to 6. Uh, and so I always make sure to say 9 to 6 because I have to work that, <laughs> that time. So I do that, and I also do this as well. So I didn't go to the theology school or anything like that. I was just taught by Christ through his means. And I just share what it is that he has shared with me. So, yeah. So ministry is what you do for fun, per se. <laughs> it is definitely fun. It definitely is fun. And so um, I do it for fun. Now, when I say I do it for fun, I don't want anybody to think that I'm doing it to get a certain high. That's not that at all, because that goes up and down and eventually withers away. That's not a good enough motivator. But yes, I do it because I enjoy it thoroughly. But the thing that definitely motivates me to do it is what I was talking about a little bit before, the righteousness of Christ, because I realized that it is for me. And so it's, it's that love, it's that righteousness that just constrains me. I, I cannot stop myself unless I stop myself, so to speak. You see, the Bible says that we love him because he first loved us, right? That's the reason why we love him. I do this because it's him that does it in me. There's no other reason than that. If there was another reason than that, let's say that thing goes away, then that means I would stop doing ministry. Like if I loved God because he gave me money, well, then when he stops giving me money, I would stop doing it. You know what I mean? So I do this because it is really the love of Christ that constraineth me to do it. Yeah, I have to uh, rephrase. I meant enjoyment and not fun. You know, it's just like, it seems like you <laughs> parallel me because I have a full-time job and I just see some, a mirror reflection of our approaches to ministry. And I think that's the right way to do it, Peter, because as self-supporting workers that we basically are, we support the work that we're doing um, ourselves. And this is not talking about the self that needs to die, but just as an individual, right? So we work and the income it is that we bring in, we use it for the daily duties of our life. Um, but also we use it for ministry and we must. Some people will save money in order to maybe get a master's degree or things like that. I invest that time, energy, those funds, those efforts uh, into ministry. Now you live near New York City, is that correct? Yep, I'm a 30 minute drive from uh, about, yeah, about a 30 minute drive from New York City. Now, obviously New York City is the epicenter right now of the COVID-19 crisis. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on. You see chatter all across the country and social media in different states and people live in different places thinking that the virus is fake, that it's overblown, it's out of proportion. Can you share with us your observation being near the epicenter? Yeah, so where I am, I'm in the Westchester area, so thereabouts, um, that's the suburbs. Um, so, you know, homes, uh, decent neighborhoods by the grace of God. So, and I work from home too. So I haven't really gone out a lot myself, so I don't see the struggles that people are going through um, that live in the Bronx or in Manhattan or in Brooklyn. Um, it was maybe about a month ago where I did drive uh, down to Brooklyn, so that means I passed the Bronx and I passed Manhattan. And I did see uh, that a lot of places were closed, um, not as many people in the streets. Those, those places are extremely busy. The concentration of the amount of people that were out in the streets is definitely greatly diminished. And then uh, in Brooklyn, there was not a lot of people, not a lot of cars. So there definitely is a lot going on. And because people are so close, there are a lot of people that end up going to hospitals. So I do know a decent bit of nurses. I have nurse friends who talk about how it is difficult, but it's not the case for all the hospitals. So in some hospitals, it's like it, it's intense. It's a lot. In others, it's not really as bad. Now, where I live, I don't really see a lot of issues. Yeah, places are shut down. 
In fact, um, at the parks, they uh, took the rims off so nobody can go and play basketball. So they're pretty active in shutting things down. But where I live, it's not as crazy, for lack of a better term. So where do you think we are in Bible prophecy right now? There's a couple of ways to look at Bible prophecy, right? Because there's prophecies for various different things. There's prophecy concerning what's going on in the earth. There's prophecy concerning what's going on in the church. There's also prophecy concerning what's going on in heaven. I had a wonderful chance to talk to uh, Pastor Andre Waller, who we're both familiar with. He was breaking it down that way, and I see it in the same light. I think that right now, in terms of what's going on in the earth, we are at the point in time, it's like America is basically the extension of Rome across the Atlantic. But what we're going to find is that apostate Protestantism is going to really not only extend its arm over, but clasp hands with the papacy. I see that that's going to go on. And we're right at that point in time where the image will be set up, the image of the beast being the reflection of, of the beast. And what is the beast? The beast is, in principle, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to look into get into all the details of it because I want to stay focused on what you asked. Um, in principle, what, what the beast represents is the church, in this case, uh, the papacy. It is the church in control of the state. That's what the the image of the beast is, where you have the church in control of the state. So we're right before those happenings. As far as for the church itself, we are at the point in time where the church is asleep and is being slowly awakened. The church is in a condition of being asleep, but is being slowly awakened by the message of justification by faith, which then gives the people of God a correct appreciation of the reforms that God has given us so that we can be the spectacle to the world that he's called us to be. And uh, as far as for heaven, prophetically, where we are, we are at the point where Christ is finishing his work of cleansing the sanctuary, which means that he's working and cleansing our hearts of sin. So we're, we're right at that place where he's finishing up his work of cleansing the sanctuary in order to come back to claim us as his own. So there's a lot of people right now in social media that are afraid, Adventists. Uh, yeah. Posting in social media about conspiracy theories, about what's going on with the New World Order, about secret societies. Uh, you know, some ministries are making predictions that Jesus can come no further than 2027, making time limits and time dates. Uh, how do we as Seventh-day Adventists resolve our fear for the last days? That's a, another very, very good question. First of all, to know that Christ is soon going to come should bring joy into everyone's heart, right? Because you're finally going to see the one whom you've been praying to all along. That's assuming that you've been praying to him and that you, you found him to be a friend. So that should bring a lot of joy into our hearts. But we shouldn't over-anticipate when he's going to come. No man knows the day nor the hour. The Bible makes it very, very clear in the book of Matthew that nobody knows the day nor the hour. And Jesus went on to say that even the Son of Man, even I don't know the day and the hour. That was at that point in time, right? He didn't know the day or the hour at that point in time. At this point in time, he certainly knows it, right? So there's a point in time that we're not going to know the day and the hour, and, and we are in that point in time right now. Later on, we will know, as we're told in the Bible and in the Spirit of Prophecy, that later on we will know the day and the hour. But right now, we do not know that. And so those who are time-setting and saying it can't be past this date or it's going to be on this date, I would highly recommend for them um, to cease and desist. And the way that I would recommend them to do that is not to say thou shalt not, but rather I would show them that we do not know. Um, we cannot know right now. Right now, I believe that we have a window of opportunity. We have a window of opportunity whereby if we do the work that we are called to do right now, Christ can return very, very soon. So we can hasten his coming, but we can't determine the day or the hour of his coming. 
Now, that should bring a lot of joy to our heart and, and not fear, because, again, we're going to see him whom we love so much. Now, if it brings fear into anybody's hearts, it's for a couple of reasons. One being that they know that they're not ready. Two, because of the struggles it is that God's people are going to face in the last days. But when God is on your side, if God be for us, then who can be against us? The Bible lets us know, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. When we have Christ as a friend, when we trust in him, when we review the works that God has done in the past with the patriarchs and with the prophets, when we review the things that God has done in our life, then we should know that we do know that he will be able to give us the strength to face whatever comes. But we don't need to have any fear in our hearts. The Bible says that love casts out all fear. First John chapter four, love casts out all fear. Why? Because in fear, there is torment and love cannot be perfected in fear. God wants to perfect his character of love in us. And if he's perfecting his character of love in us, that means that fear will be gone. Okay, so that means that God is going to have a people who have his character perfectly reproduced in him. And because they have this character perfectly reproduced in them, they will have overcome fear. And so prophecy teaches and prophecy shows that God will have a people who will have no fear in their heart. And so therefore, if we have fear in our hearts, that should be an index to us that we don't have the highest experience with Christ that we ought to have. So I encourage people to really go into the word of God and to collect all the promises of God. And those words of God have in them creative properties that will create those realities in your life. So then you'll be experiencing the living reality of faith of trust in a God who will never let you down. Now, you talked about preparation and that one of the motivating factors of fear for Seventh-day Adventists is the feeling that they're not ready for Jesus to come. And right. one of the major issues, even in the last days, is that of finances. No man could buy or sell. <laughs> now, I know you come from a corporate background. How should we prepare financially for the last days? You're asking some good questions, Peter. Um so I'm a financial analyst. That is so. I don't do personal finance by trade, by work, um, but I understand it very, very well. In my college days, in fact, that's what I was pretty much doing. I was helping people with budgeting and stuff like that, teaching them on financial literacy, which I think is extremely important for just regular people, but more important for sure for God's people. So as far as your finances, how to prepare financially? Number one is you want to save money, of course. You want to just build the habit of disciplining yourself as a steward of the Lord's money. You want to learn and apply the principle of saving money. Even before saving money, you want to learn how to give money. So it's the principle of life to give. To live is to give. And so God instituted uh, tithing, not for himself and for his church, but he really instituted it for us. The purpose of tithing is really to benefit us. It's not to benefit God because he owns all the cattle on the hills. Tithing teaches us the principle of selflessness. This is about character development, selflessness. So tithing needs to be a part of the way that we do things in terms of our preparation, because what God wants to prepare is not our money, but he wants to prepare our characters and our hearts. So the number one thing when looking at it from the per financial perspective is just giving God his money back. OK, um, so we begin with that tithing, the 10 percent. And then, of course, offering. If you read in the book Patriarchs and Prophets, it talks about how they would also give another 10%, I believe, for offering, and I think 5% for the poor. So that's basically, that plus uh, the tithe, that's about 25% of your income. Now, somebody might say, oh my goodness, I only make $100, and now I'm only left with $75. Uh, 
God is able to do many wonderful things. Just look at a garden. After you put a seed in the ground, you see what happens. So now we get into some more practical things. Saving a certain amount of money, whatever it is that you possibly can, you want to put that, I recommend, in a high-yield savings account. So what's a high-yield savings account? A high-yield savings account is a savings account that has a higher yield. And the yield is the percentage amount that the bank or financial institution that you put this money in, that's the amount that they'll give you on top of what it is that you give them. So let's say, for example, you put in $100 in a a high-yield savings account, $100. And let's say that high-yield savings account says we'll give you 1% APR. So that's annual percentage rate. Then that means that at the end of the year, you're going to have 1% of whatever amount you put in. So let's say you put $100, you get $1 at the end of that year, right? They may give it monthly or quarterly or semi-annually or annually. Different institutions do it differently. I recommend that as you're saving money to put money to the side uh, that you're not going to touch into a high yield savings account, that should be your emergency fund. And you should have up to three to six months worth of living expenses, worth of living expenses saved in your uh, savings account. That's an emergency fund. So that if a situation like that, which we are in right now comes up, you're not gonna depend upon the government stimulus to be able to continue to make your expenses like maybe your mortgage or your rent or your you know, regular living expenses, cable bill, et cetera. So what I recommend in terms of getting yourself prepared financially, you need to start putting money away and you want to put it in an account that will actually yield you money. So your money will actually grow and not sit there. Don't put it under your mattress. Your money is losing value when you do that. You want to put it in a place where it can grow. So a high yield savings account is a good place to begin with. Not necessarily sophisticated because anybody could do this. Then you could look into something that can uh, generate a higher yield, like a fund, um, which is a basket of securities or a basket of investments that may have a higher yield so that your money can grow a little bit more. But you want to put your money in a place where it can grow with usury. Now, the Bible talks a little about that, right? Um, The talents and, you know, so it can grow in usury. You want to put it in a place where it can grow with usury if you're not touching that money. So eventually when you need to touch that money, um, it will be a little more than that which you had put in to begin with. I could talk about this quite a bit, but I think that those are some basic things that people should really look into. Thank you so much. This is uh, very essential for uh, practical preparation. Now, what should Seventh-day Adventists today emphasize in their message and their witnessing here today? I mean, we see in social media, they post things about what the government's doing. They post things what the Pope is doing. They post things about climate change. What should be the emphasis of Seventh-day Adventists in their preaching and their posting and their witnessing? Yeah, the, the, the great emphasis... The great emphasis, above all emphasis, should be Christ. Um, and we're going we're gonna to break that down uh, because anybody could have said that. But what exactly does that mean? I think sometimes we could give an answer and, and, and kind of hide behind it or give or say, you know, you, you quote uh, maybe Matthew 24, 14, and this is the gospel of the kingdom shall go throughout all the, the whole world. Um, and then you kind of hide behind that, but we don't really fully go deep into it and, and kind of break down, okay, what exactly does that mean? The great emphasis, the great thrust of everything it is that we present should be Christ. So if I'm posting something um, related to what's going on in the government, how does that lead one to desire Christ? If I'm posting something related to uh, uh, the coronavirus, how does that lead one to look 
to Christ. If I'm posting something about how uh, the government is silencing people or Google and Twitter and YouTube, they're silencing people. We're losing our freedom of speech, um, which is an effect to religious liberty because those are connected. Then how does that lead one to Christ? So there's nothing particularly wrong with sharing about what's going on in the government because the Bible talks about it. There's nothing wrong with talking about the various diseases and pestilences, et cetera, that are in the world and plagues uh, because the Bible talks about it as well. What we need to be sure that we do is that we lead people who are interested in those things. We lead them from that to Christ because the gospel is the wonderful simplifier of all of life's problems. All those things are problems and people are very interested in problems. So they'll go online and they'll look for something that's talking about a problem. You know, there's lots of YouTube channels that talk about problems and people like to hear about problems and like to hear how other people figure out how to get out or wiggle out of those problems. Human beings, we have the sinful nature. And so we're bent towards sinful things. And unfortunately, sometimes we Adventists can have an insatiable thirst for apostasy. We want to hear more about and what's going on and stuff like that. We need to be aware of that. We shouldn't be ignorant of the enemy and his devices, what he's been doing in the church. But for what do I need to know about all the stuff going on in the government, all the issues going on thereabouts? It's so that I, I can apply the gospel, which is the wonderful simplifier of all of life's problems, the answer to those things. So there's lots of people in this world and lots of people on social media who see what's going on, who read about the CDC and all the issues thereabouts, who read about China and how they may have fudged some information or delayed giving information, who see President Trump and, and don't like his character. I'm not too sure why we would look for righteousness from any secular leader, but I digress. Um, or who look to politicians for answers, etc. And that's not where we as Christians are to look. But we should address the issue. And in addressing the issue, we lead people to the only one who is the answer to all those things, which is Jesus Christ. And we need to be able to do that in a very practical way, because that is uh, an avenue for us to be able to reach lots of people. So can you give us an example of how, say, you post something and how you could lead them to Christ? Let's use this health issue going on right now. We know that the coronavirus, but it deals with the respiratory system, etc. As a matter of fact, I give you this little testimony as an example. As I said, I'm not a doctor, but I know some doctors, even naturopathic doctors. And God has given us the health message. So it was last year, around September of last year, Peter, and um, I was talking to a naturopathic doctor friend of mine. Her name is Dr. Corinne Hall Brown. And she's very, very good when it comes to these things. In fact, she leads out uh, different conferences, particularly even the Northeastern Conference of Seventh-day Adventists with medical missionary work, etc. She's such a nice person. And uh, I've been working with her on a program on our YouTube channel, Last Joy Ministries, called Nature's Way of Healing. And we started from last year, September, where uh, I sat down, we were talking, and I said, we got to do something. She said, yeah, we'll call Nature's Way of Healing, and we can do this. I'm like, okay, so what, what do we want to start with? She said, okay, I'll start with the respiratory system. I said, okay, great. I have all the media and stuff to be able to expose what it is that the Lord has shared with her concerning health. So from last year, before even hearing about the coronavirus, we were working on putting together these videos, which were primarily related to the respiratory system, asthma, pneumonia, um, GERD. So that's more, GERD is more related to the GI tract, gastrointestinal tract. Um, but things related to the respiratory system, natural remedies to be able to experience healing and, and better health. And then it was in the beginning of this year where we started launching those videos every Sunday. So now the virus comes, goes viral, and those videos, right, those videos were now beneficial 
were not useful. So I saw God's hand directly working with us um, before we even knew that we needed that. He was already preparing us with that. So now with this virus being here, we can let people know, hey, this virus is, is a bad thing. This is, what is it, like 0.1% of people are going to get it or that do get it are going to die or something like that. So it's very low, but nevertheless, if you get it, you're going to experience a lot of difficulty. So is there a way that God has given to us through nature to experience healing? Yes, there's nature's way of healing, which is the name of the program. And so in that way, you could talk about the virus. You could talk about those issues so long as it, as it is true, because you don't want to lose your credibility. You could talk about if there was something wrong that went on in the government concerning these things, because people are interested in that. How do you reach those people that listen to an Alex Jones or that listens to a, well, Alex Jones isn't really on the media anymore, but different people that push forward theories. How do you reach those people that are listening to that? Say some of those key words. And when they come and listen, you share with them, these are issues that are going on in the world. The world has no answers for it, but God has an answer for it. We can't change what's going on behind the dark curtain. There are issues going on behind the government that we can't address, but there's things that you, my friend, can address in your home, in your life, and you share with them the gospel of health, how they can practically experience healing and overcoming of this virus, or at least mitigation of the symptoms of this virus. The other example I was going to give really short is um, the issue of freedom of speech, for example. That's a very, very big issue. Lots of platforms talk about how lots of YouTube channels are being shut down or podcasts being taken off, and that's an effect to the to our First Amendment rights. So we as Christians need to understand the First Amendment. We need to understand the Constitution of these United States of America. We need to understand the Bill of Rights. We need to understand the, the Declaration of Independence. We should read the Federalist Paper and be very, very aware of those things and in tune for why they were put together so that like Paul, we would be able to make an appeal not necessarily to Caesar because we're not asking for the help of the government because our help comes from God but rather we'd be able to make an appeal to the government to stay true to the laws that they have put on the books. So we're not asking for salvation from the government, but we're asking for them to remain true and faithful to the, to the laws that they have initially established. So we as Christians can get into those conversations about freedom of speech and of expression and of religion and of conscience with those who see that as an issue. And then we can lead them to the word of God, which teaches about freedom, which teaches about faith and the right to believe what you want to believe and to come freely to the truth and to have the freedom to accept or to reject those things. So we have, you know, these tools, we have the gospel that is perfectly fit to answer every issue of life. Now, you're very active in social media. You're a YouTuber, mm. content creator. Did you have any issues with censorship from the major media platforms? No, nah, me personally, no. Um, our channel... Um, or our podcast has not had any issues. Um, if there's like a copyright claim, it's because maybe I played a, a song that is copyrighted or whatever. But typically what I'll do is I'll, I'll either leave it up because my videos are not monetized or I will um, just clip the, that portion out uh, to make the video a little bit shorter. But no, I haven't personally any issue or faced any issue concerning uh, censorship on YouTube, no. I think just to add, we need to be smart about how we produce our content. We don't have to delve into the questioning of the motives or the dark curtain behind things. We could just use regular sources to mm. affirm our prophetic message. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. And in fact, that's what I would suggest for people to do. Whenever doing any kind of research, make sure that you are doing your research from a reputable source. Whenever you're putting up a chart or a graph or using statistics, 
you want to be sure that you understand how it works and what it actually means. Anybody can draw the bell curve and kind of explain their thought about it. But you have to be sure about, you know, what was the population size or the sample size of, of this particular study? Who was it funded by? Because if it was a certain group that funded it, then the answers or the result of that study will probably skew towards what it is that they want, their personal agenda. Um, th- those are all those things that, you know, you, you learn in college. I remember I took a business statistics class, which was a very difficult class which went through that statistics and, and all these things for us to be able to understand, you know, what it is that we're receiving from the news, what it is that we're reading uh, when we're looking at a study so that we can share something that's accurate, not outdated, not stale, um, accurate and true. So that Facebook won't say this is fake news because they actually do that right now. They have this thing where on a picture that's fake, it'll say that it's been fact checked or whatever. You want to make sure that you fact check what it is that you post before you line it up with Bible prophecy. Because if you put up something that's false, that's not a fact, and then you say it lines up with this Bible prophecy, then people are not only going to throw out the content that you put, they're going to throw out the Bible as well. Now, you mentioned justification by faith Mm -hmm. as our message of emphasis. Yes. What I call our end-time gospel message. Mm -hmm. What is justification by faith? That is one of my favorite questions. Um, but it's also one of the questions that always challenged me because it's so broad and because so many things begin to flood through my mind when I get that question. Because, again, that is the thing that that really s- continues to solidify me um, in this message and in the gospel and be committed to Christ because he first committed himself to me. I wouldn't just say bring justification by faith in a formulaic kind of way or righteousness by faith in a formulated kind of way. Meaning I, I'm I, like righteousness is the law. Faith is believing. And so righteousness by faith is believing in the law and living according to the law. That's a good beginning start to things. And I think that those should be the first thoughts that you have in your mind when thinking of righteousness by faith in terms of the law of God, dependence on him, etc. But I think it's important to kind of really paint the whole entire picture. So when that comes to me, the first thought that comes to my mind when I hear justification by faith is the perfect life of Christ. The perfect life of Christ. Christ's life of perfection was a life that had faced every single species of sin and temptation that we have faced and that we can ever imagine. So let me break this down. Christ became us. He is God that has become man. He cumbered his divinity with our sinful, weak, fallen humanity. He took upon himself all of our bad equipment. And with the pressure of our bad equipment, he produced the perfect version of our life. He produced perfect obedience with the pressure of our sinful, weak nature. He could feel our temptations. He could feel our weaknesses. He could feel the things that pull us to do our own will. He could feel that. And Christ successfully overcame, even doing his own will, though it was good. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 3, the Bible says that he pleased not himself. Christ did not please himself. Everything that he did was the pleasure of his father. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That was the life of Christ. Meaning he didn't do his will. He only did the will, the word of his father. 
He said, I delight to do thy will. Oh, my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. He didn't do his own will. He did the will of his father. While again, covered with your and my weaknesses. So in him doing that successfully, producing perfection under those difficult circumstances, he has gained the victory not only for us, but as us, because he became us and he gained the victory for us and as us. And now everything that applies to Christ applies to us. But now we as individuals need to choose to appropriate that for ourselves. He has already lived out the perfect version of ourselves. So the perfect version of you is found in Christ. Christ has already accomplished that. He's already done that. These are realities. This is past tense. You didn't ask him to do it. You didn't pray for him to do it. You didn't repent for him to do it. You didn't confess one sin for him to do it. You didn't do anything for him to do it. Okay. Before you were even born, he did it. Before you were even born, he did it. He accomplished it. Now that you are alive, you have to choose it for it to be a living reality in your life. And that is the experience of justification by faith. The day-to-day -day experience of choosing to appropriate, to believe, to trust, and to depend upon what Christ has already accomplished for you. That is justification by faith. You depending upon what Christ has already accomplished for you, which is victory. And as you experience that day by day, that experience is the way that God evangelizes to the world. That experience is the way that God evangelizes to the world. Him perfecting your character day by day is how he evangelizes to the world because now the world is going to see the perfection of the Father's character, the perfection of Christ's work in your life, and they will see your good works, which is really the work of Christ, and they will glorify the Father. And that is how the earth is going to be lightened with the glory of God. Revelation chapter 18, that is the loud cry. That is the loud cry, which is more demonstration than noise. It is the demonstration of the righteousness, the justification of the life of Christ in you, the hope of glory, where you are now no longer an old creature because old things are passed away and behold, all things are made new. So whatever bad habits you may have had, whatever things that you may have lived in that people are familiar with in your life, now you are a new creature you're completely new. They're going to behold that newness in you. And that is going to be them beholding Christ. And as they're now beholding Christ in you, they're going to get a glimpse of his love and his beauty, of his kindness, of his tenderness. His matchless charms is going to captivate them. And then they're going to have the opportunity to choose to experience their justification by faith in the righteousness of Christ. So that's like an overview, my thoughts on justification by faith and the experience thereof and the results thereof as well to those that behold the experience in you. Amen. In other words, actions cry louder than words. Is that correct? Yes. Y yes. Amen. Amen. So Amen. when receiving justification by faith, not only are our habits change, our bad acts, but we become more kind in our experience mm -hmm. with others. Yes. And the desire, the desire is in the heart. Christ can actually remove the evil desires from our heart. And he does that. The Bible says that here are the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. Uh, one of the most difficult commandments is the one that says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's house. In principle, what that commandment is saying is thou shalt not want to sin. Because the law of God is eternal. Can an angel covet his neighbor's wife? No, because his neighbor doesn't have a wife. 
right? So how does the angels keep the commandments of God, which were there even before uh, anyone had a husband or a wife? How did the angel do that? Well, so we have to go to what the principle of the law is. And the principle thereof is you shall not want to sin. Now, if God is going to have people that keep the law, if God is going to have people that actually keep that law, which is the experience of Christ, the lawgiver, doing that in you, that means he's even going to remove the desire in your heart to sin. Now, if he is doing that work, and maybe you might slip or you might fall, we still have an advocate with the Father who can keep you from falling or who could and who will pick you up when you turn to him. His work is of removing that desire from your heart and then giving you the ability to also no longer go back to those things. I just wanted to bring up that very key point um, because I want people to understand that you cannot do it of yourself. To remove the desire to sin, you can't do that yourself. God has to remove that desire. It's one of his commandments. So it's one of the things that he's going to have to get done by the power of his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God is going to have to get that done in our hearts of removing the desire. You know, I just realized something like the uh, eye solvers in my eyes that the 10th commandment is all about motive. Mm -hmm. It's all about the motive that motivates the behavior. Yes. As opposed to, you know, the other commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. It's easier to keep because there's legal consequences mm -hmm. from the state. Mm -hmm. But the 10th commandment is the all-encompassing one where the motive of our heart is what's the issue. So yes. thank you for pointing that out. Yes, yes, yes. It's a key point. And you just brought up the state, which makes me think of religious liberty, right? Because with religious liberty and the thoughts therein, the reason, and this is so important, and this is what your podcast is all about, um, because I've, I've listened to your podcast. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever should believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The way that we are saved is by having faith in Christ, believing on him. I'm not talking about the believing of the devils. I'm talking about the believing that will give you everlasting life. So that right to believe, that freedom of conscience, that right to believe um, in God and to worship God according to the way that you understand to be true. That's what believing means. To believe is to be and to live, to live according to the way that you understand to be true. That's what it means to believe. If that is violated. If that is removed, then that is removing your ability to be saved. If ever the state or the government tries to put in and act a law outside of its jurisdiction, which is the mind of man, that is not the jurisdiction of Caesar. Whenever the government tries to enact a law, put together a law of how you should worship or what you should believe, they are attempting to remove your ability to be saved. Right. So it's very, very dangerous whenever a government will try to do that. And this is how really righteousness by faith and religious liberty really tie in, because with religious liberty, we are at liberty to choose to be saved based off the truth. It is that God has revealed and exposed to us in the world. When Jesus says, give unto Caesar that which is to Caesar and to God, which is to God, then we're not called to give unto God through Caesar the things that are God. We are called to give to Caesar that which is unto Caesar. We are to we are called to give to God that which is unto God, not through Caesar, but to God alone. How? Through faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. We don't need Caesar to please God. We don't need a government to force us to worship God. We don't need a government to put together blasphemy laws so that we can stay in line. No, 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 no. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We can please God without Caesar. Caesar is not essential. What we need is faith. 
And this is what we're going to find in these last days, where because apostate Protestantism and the papacy, it, it does not have the power of the gospel. So in order for to, to make people experience some kind of power, what it's going to do is that because it's lost the power of the gospel, it will look for power somewhere else in order to enforce people to worship. It will look for power somewhere else. And so it will fornicate. To fornication, that word porne, it is to f- the union of two things that shouldn't be united. It will fornicate and it will look for power somewhere else. It will look for power from the state in order to enforce people to believe or to live according to their traditions or to worship God. Um, and that's very, 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 very dangerous. You know, it's interesting. I, that was going to be my next question, how justification faith is connected to religious liberty, but you already answered that question. Mm, mm. Um, Galatians chapter 14, right? Where you find the three angels message from verse six to verse 12. You find that therein, but right there in the first angel, because the second angel doesn't bring anything different than the first, neither does the third. The first brings the everlasting gospel and nothing can be added to something that's everlasting. So the second isn't adding anything more. Neither is the third adding anything more. Neither is the fourth adding anything more. Then the first angel's message, it says, you know, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. But, but right before even that, it says that this angel is flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. And in Romans chapter one and verse 16, the Bible says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for them that believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek uh, for therein." meaning in there, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, for the just shall live by faith. And so the third angel's message is justification by faith in verity, or as my brothers and sisters who speak French uh, say, en vérité. It is the third angel's message in verity, righteousness by faith. And there we see the various different issues going on between church and, and state in terms of the mark of the beast being enforced by the beast, you know, etc., which is the enforcement of the National Sunday Law, we see how, you know, that does not tie in or square in with the gospel. It actually goes against the gospel. It goes against love because love cannot be commanded. Love cannot be forced. You can't have a law for love. But now you may say, wait, but God gave a law. He gave a law to the children of Israel so that they can see that they're not able to do it and that they need to depend upon the lawgiver to work in them both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And then they have to choose to work out what he has worked in them. But the government's not able to do any of those things with us. It is not their jurisdiction. It is the church that is called to teach and preach those things, not the government. So there needs to be a separation of the two and a recognition of the work of God directly in the heart of man, not through another man and not through a government. You know, uh, just by you sharing, just thoughts have just flooded in my mind about the great controversy here in these last days where you have civil government seeking to force people into righteousness in one Mm. hand. And then you have God, by the consent of his people, by choice and love, reproduce righteousness through divine power on the other hand. One by government, which is man's power, which will fail. And one's a demonstration through divine power, which will be victorious. Amen. That's right. That's right. I mean, to seek the experience of righteousness is the right thing. Um, And for the government to want the country to experience righteousness, that's a good thing. Uh, It's noble, but it's impossible for them to get it done. That is that is God's work, because then what they do is that they're going to inflict punishment on those who don't do it according to the way that they think that it should be done. But how are you going to determine whether people have truly been converted in their heart? The way that they're going to look to do that is through persecution. In order to be sure that you believe what it is that they want you to believe, 
they're going to test you. They're going to test you. They're going to test you to see what exactly is in your heart. And if you're willing to die for something, then it shows that you believe in that. So they can't see the heart. Only God can see the heart. But in order for them to see what's in your heart, whether or not you will accept the mark or not, they're going to test you. And the only way that they can get an idea as to what's going on in your heart is to put you under some fire. And that's what happened in the past. And history, um, if it doesn't rhyme, it certainly repeats itself. Oh, this has been a powerful, rich experience for myself, learning new things. Thank you so much, Brother Verlis, for sharing such wonderful gems of wisdom from your studies with the Word of God. Final question, how do we get ready for Jesus to come? How do we get ready for Jesus to come? It's very, very simple, very, very easy. God did not make this thing complicated. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. This is not a peace and safety message. This is a message of safety in Christ, in the pavilion of Christ, in the most holy place. We're told in the book, um, Desire of Ages on page 302, I believe it's paragraph one, that the Holy Spirit never leaves unassisted the soul that is looking unto Jesus. He will take the things of Christ and present them unto him. If the eye is kept fixed on Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit ceases not until that soul is conformed into his image. So how do you prepare practically? Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Continue to behold him and his life. Continue to seek for his Holy Spirit and know that if you're seeking after him, it's because he was first seeking after you because no man seeks after God. And then the work of the Holy Spirit will not stop until you are conformed into the image of Christ. That doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. Once Christ experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit there in the Jordan, the Bible says that he was taken off grid. He was taken off grid right there in the wilderness and he faced the fiercest temptations, but he was able to gain the victory over all those things. Why? Because the spirit did not stop its work. So the spirit has begun and continued its work with those of your listeners and he will not stop if they continue to seek after Christ. Brother Verlis, thank you so much for being a guest in our podcast. I know your time is valuable. And uh, you're welcome back anytime, brother. It's been a great blessing building with you Amen. in the Word of God. Amen. Amen. I, I feel really privileged, again, um, to be able to chat with you and to, and to share these thoughts with the listeners. I believe God is doing something so special in these times, and I just want to be a part of that team. Amen. It's, the privilege is ours. And before we close, can you have a closing prayer for us? Sure, sure. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time that you blessed us with to be able to get into your Word and to talk about these last days and practically what we as a people can do to be ready, whether it is financially and spiritually, most importantly. We ask, O oh God, that you may bless us richly and abundantly with the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in large measure. We believe that we are living in the time where we are to experience the latter rain and we are expecting that latter rain to fall upon us. We are expecting the outpouring of the teacher of righteousness, according to righteousness, to come into our life and to transform us, to renew us and to restore us into the image of the lovely Jesus. 
And so we ask, Father, that you may cleanse our heart of all sin, even as Christ is cleansing the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. And that your character may be so perfectly reproduced in us that we would no longer be so careful about our salvation or about translation, but rather about the vindication of your character in these last days. We pray all these things in the, according to the merits of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that everything it is that he deserves, that you may pour it out our way. Blessed name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.